bring the love of Wisconsin's outdoors in through the beauty and quality craftsmanship of Pella Windows and Doors. Lock in your prices by February 28th and get 0% interest for up to 48 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Wisconsin, welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. We have a lot of ground to cover. Hey, a lot of new postings since we last spoke. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 and we'll we'll be talking about some of those over the course of the next couple hours but the super bowl is of course on on sunday and i know there's a lot of people who, who watch the game and there's also people who really could care less about the game but they watch it because they want to see all the super bowl ads that are there well i'll give you a head start here if you want to if you don't want to watch the game but you want to see the ads i, I i've got I'm here for you. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to a website that has most of most of the ads that are going to run during the game. So if you want to get a head start on on watching them, you can do that. Again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 and just kind of follow the link. I, I watched some, not all of them. It's interesting. There's going to be one that's a it, it brings back Breaking Bad. And it brings back some of the characters from Breaking Bad. It's, it's sort of interesting. The earworm, the earworm is there's an ad for T-Mobile, I believe, featuring John Travolta kind of reprising his role from the movie Grease from years and years ago. And it, it's kind of got an earworm to it. So you can check that out. But if you want to get a head start on a number of the different Super Bowl ads, again, follow me uh, on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. While we're at it, I also have a couple links to various sites that have their own lists of the best Super Bowl ads of all time. The top 25, according to the Sporting News, and another website that lists the top 11 Super Bowl ads of all time. And we're going to be talking a little bit about this during the 2 p.m. hour. But again, if you want to get a head start, uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620, and we'll do that. Uh, Before that, well, some serious topics and then moving a little bit lighter. I think that this, we start off, though, with the most serious topic uh, imaginable. The um, latest news in the death of Milwaukee police officer Peter Jerving. There is an absolute must-read piece in the, the newspaper talking about the, the career of this 37-year-old man who senselessly lost his life earlier this week. Um, interestingly enough, it, it goes through his background, and I want to share a, a little bit of this with you. Um, grow the guy, born 1985, grew up uh, the fifth of seven children, grew up in their Milwaukee home. He grew up on the city's northwest side in the same police district that he would eventually suit up with for a, a badge. Really just a, an interesting story completely, and apparently... Um, very, very nice young man. He did not go right into law enforcement, although he always wanted to be a cop. But for whatever reason, he started off, he worked for 14 years at Western States Envelope and Label in 
butler, and his job was to set up and, and troubleshoot machinery. And he became like an assistant supervisor. But all along, he he great employee, but he always had this desire to go into law enforcement, and it was his childhood dream. He wanted to make a difference, and ultimately he got accepted into the police academy, and he graduated in 2018 in a class with around 50 other police officers. So, you know, this is... You, you want to talk about somebody with, with determination stuff because what happens is a lot of people that go into law enforcement, they go into law enforcement like right after college or something like that. But in this case, th- this this man, that's what he wanted to do, and he, he set out to, to accomplish that, and he did, you know, in his early 30s. And, you know, the story talks about, you know, how he loved patrolling the same part of the city where he grew up and just – loved everything about being a police officer the story also talks about you know his actions last november where he's on patrol on milwaukee's north side they come upon a car that had crashed into a light pole they run to the driver who was suffering from a gunshot wound the car was on fire and officer jerving repositioned the driver to help stop the flow of blood and while the other officer applied pressure to the wound jerving received retrieved a fire extinguisher and, and and put out the flames in the car. This is a car that is on fire and, of course, can blow up at any second. And as the police chief described it this week, these were extremely, you know, dangerous conditions. And he was uh, recognized by an award from the department for what they did. So the the bottom line is, you know, we, we hear so much about, oh, you had these renegade cops and look what they did in look what they did in Memphis and things like that. And what so many people fail to recognize is that 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 rogue police officer is the one in a thousand. It's the one in 10,000. And that's what gets all the attention where the bottom line is most, most, almost all of the police officers that are on the street risking their lives on a daily basis are, are like Officer Jerving. So I, I guess I was trying to think of how I wanted to start the show today. And look, there, there's nothing there's nothing that anybody can do that can bring this officer back. His life was senselessly ended by some thug who you know shouldn't have been where he was and who was willing to shoot, in this case kill, a, a wonderful serving officer. So nothing we can do brings him back. But moving forward, I, I want to have a conversation about what we do to honor the memory of, of Officer Jerving and honor the service of all the other men and women who are out there in law enforcement, whether it's with the Milwaukee Police Department or the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department or the Zaki County Sheriff's Department or the Waukesha Police Department or any of the other people involved in, in law enforcement. Because here is my concern. Given Everything that's out there nowadays, given the fact that you have people pursuing political agendas who want to make the police the bad guy and do that every chance they get, I am really seriously worried about where the next generation of police officers is going to come from. Or for those people, as we have talked about before, who are in law enforcement now, who look at stories like this and start to say, look, this is really becoming a more and more thankless job. What do we need to do to make it more attractive for people to follow the path of Officer Jerving and get into law enforcement? 
and then follow the path of the people who are currently in law enforcement and get them to stay. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I've got a couple ideas, but what can we do to make this position, make these jobs more attractive so we get people like Peter Jerving to sign up to protect and serve the rest of us. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I think if we want to have a, a fitting tribute to fallen Milwaukee police officer, Peter Jerving. I think one of the things that we, we have to start having a conversation as a community is what what do we do moving forward to honor the service of, of people like Officer Jerving and also attract more and more people into that profession? Uh, Jeff, unlike 9-11, you had a lot of where you had a lot of national pride where young men and women signed up to serve. I think a sense of pride needs to be introduced into the recruitment program. Well, I, and I, I understand what the, the what the texter is saying. The idea is, OK, when after 9-11, just um, as in other times in our history, people flocked to sign up because they wanted to protect and defend their their country. And, and now we get in a situation where for a lot of people, well, who wants to be a, a police officer? Why would I possibly want to do that? Um, Jeff, the answer to your question is very simple. If they want to do the right thing, we need to stop treating all the offenders like they are victims. We need to lock them up and get them off the streets. Police officers need to know the hard work they are doing isn't all for nothing. I'm sure it is incredibly frustrating for them. Jeff, in 1977, I joined the first police explorers. This cemented my future. As with most issues in life, education and positive exposure is the key to the issues of life. You know, that's one of the reasons, interestingly enough, that I think, for example, some of the school systems around here have made such a fatal error giving into the woke crowd, giving into the politically correct crowd, and pulling safety officers from schools because well, gee, people don't trust the police. No, see, that was one of the big advantages of having officers in the schools. First of all, they're, they're there as first responders when problems break out. But secondly, it gives the kids an opportunity to see a police officer in a context different than when the police officer is responding to criminal activity or whatever. It gives the kids in school an opportunity to say, hey, I I remember, you know, officer so-and-so was the, you know, was the police officer who was assigned to the school, was the public safety officer, and I got a chance to talk to him or her, and he was a really nice guy or a nice gal, and I got to understand a little bit about what they did, and it helps young people maybe realize that the the police that are in the schools are not are not an occupying force. Jeff, I think you need to stop allowing the woke mainstream media to demonize and second guess police officer judgment. Well, it, it is look, and, and I've I've made this very clear. When you have examples of again that that rogue police officer, well, of course it needs to be condemned. There, there's no question about it. But what we lose sight of is the fact that that's that is not the normal situation. I, I read a text yesterday or two days ago, and it was one of these. It just had my, I, I almost wasn't going to make reference to it, but the, the 
I'm paraphrasing, but just barely, the um, the texter said, "Well, why why should I care that uh, you know police officers are being shot? Police officers they're shooting black men all the time, and that's just flat out not true." But I guess that's the attitude that some people have. Jeff, I think you need to get a hold on crime. Maybe if it was controlled a bit more, it would attract more officers. All right, I actually think there's three things. First of all, I think there needs to be more money. I, I think you have to realize that if you are going to attract the best and the brightest you have to recognize that there is a lot of competition now. And people who go into law enforcement, especially the people you really want to have in law enforcement, they, they might have other choices and other career options that they have to have. And, and that's why I, I think more money. That doesn't solve the entire situation, but it might it just might encourage more people to make that choice at, at a younger level. Secondly, it's a second more. You need more respect and support. This, I cannot tell you how many times, it's just so frustrating to me, whenever you see a situation. Nowadays, what, what's the general reaction? Well, if you see a police officer on the scene, you know, dealing with a situation, what do, police, what do people do? Well, a lot of times they heckle. The first reaction isn't to help. It isn't to get out of the way. It's to pull out their cell phones and, and video stuff. And half the people who are doing it are videoing that, hoping that they can find some police officer who maybe engages in, in something that's excessive so that can then go viral. Well, okay, maybe, just maybe, if we had more respect and more support, it would go a long way towards encouraging people to get into this profession, but also encouraging the people that are in here to stay. So more money, more respect and support. And then my third suggestion, dovetailing on what one of our texters said, is less crime. Look, being in law enforcement has always been a, it's been dangerous. And I think what some people fail to realize is, for most of us, we have good days and bad days at work and maybe maybe your bad day is your 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 boss yells at you or maybe your bad day is you lose that big sale or maybe the bad day is that you make some you know some mistake that gets you in, in trouble or, or whatever um we have good days and bad days but when you're in law enforcement your your bad days are are when you know you you come home you don't come home and that is something that puts incredible stress on your family. It is incredible stress on you because, again, there's not too many occupations in the civilian world where on a daily basis you risk the fact that, hey, I'm out there, I'm engaging with people, many of whom have committed criminal activities, people who are running from the cops, people who are fleeing in cars from the cops, people who are willing to take guns and shoot police officers because they have no respect for anything. That's something that most people do not come into contact with on a daily basis. And maybe, just maybe, if we could get a handle on the criminal element that's out there, and we start by doing a lot of the stuff that we talk about on a regular basis on this program, namely 
let's encourage let's encourage the system to start arresting, prosecuting and incarcerating those people who are out there committing the crimes with guns or carrying guns when they're not allowed to or whatever. Just maybe, maybe, maybe if we reduce the amount of crime, we can make it easier to attract people to police, particularly in urban areas. Because, of course, one of the problems that you have is even if you have people who are in law enforcement and they want that to be their career, what happens on a number of occasions is maybe they start out in an urban policing area and then recognize, hey, we've got an option what we can do is we can go, oh, we've got some experience here. Maybe we want to go to a community where, although anything bad, stuff bad can happen at any given time, maybe we want to go to a situation where, hey, it's not as likely that we're going to, you know, have to run down somebody at one thirty in the morning who's committed an armed robbery while be just being put on probation 12 hours earlier who is willing to shoot and kill police. Maybe that's what stuff we can do moving forward to truly honor the memory of Milwaukee police officer Peter Jerving. Remember back to mid-May of last year. And you might remember that um, there was there was an incident on a Friday night in the entertainment district, you know, kind of the Water Street area and the Pfizer Forum area. And, and this was during the Bucks playoff games. Twenty one people injured in shootings in downtown Milwaukee. Remember when that happened? Seventeen were shot in one incident incident 17 shots in one incident and you can you'll remember all that and then afterwards there were press conferences and it had the mayor and somebody from the police department and the, and the local alderman and one of the things that, that they said is look what we're going to start doing and it's one of the things we're going to try to do to kind of curb some of the crime and some of the violence and things like that is we're actually going to start enforcing an ordinance that has been on the books forever, but that we really don't pay much attention to. And I have in my hands a story, um, WTMJ, Channel 4, TMJ 4. Here, here's the headlines. This ran uh, May 22nd. Okay, this is when it's posted. Parents to be fined under Milwaukee's citywide curfew for those under 17. Here's the story. Milwaukee police are now actively enforcing the city's curfew for people under 17 years old. But it's not just young people who get a ticket for being out late. Parents and businesses also face fines. According to Milwaukee's curfew ordinance, anyone out in the city who is under 17 years old must be accompanied by a parent or guardian between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. Friday and Saturday. And then the story goes on to talk about how what they can do is they're going to give the, t- the give the the kids the tickets but also they can ticket the the parents and the idea is this will act as a as a deterrent to people you know being out because you know Wagner's rule of life number four is that nothing good happens outside a strip club at two o'clock in the morning but I, I'm gonna I modify that you know Wagner's rule of life 4.5 is nothing good happens when you've got 15 year old kids out on the street at midnight on a Saturday night nothing good is going to happen so we were told okay we're going to aggressively enforce the curfews well I, I 
the last numbers I saw were a few months ago when actually one of you made a sh- made an open records request, and the question was, okay, how many curfew tickets were issued? And it, it was maybe a dozen, certainly less than, than 20. And yet on a daily basis, you hear story after story after story of a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 13-year-old who's in a stolen car at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, I really got to thinking about this because there's a story in the State Journal today. Madison is on the verge of simply uh, doing away with its teen curfew. Madison has a curfew ordinance that requires youths between the ages of 12 and 16 to be home by 11 p.m. on weekdays and midnight on weekends or face a fine, although apparently the police have, have not issued a ticket for breaking curfew in the last couple years. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm a big believer in, in the broken windows theory of policing, which is you try to stop little stuff so it doesn't become big stuff. So all this talk about we're going to enforce the curfews, we're going to get the kids off the street, turned out to be essentially just talk. Uh, because you you just don't see these curfew ordinances being used now. May, maybe your argument is, well, you know, there's so many armed robberies, there's so many car thefts, there's so many murders going on. How can you expect the the police officers to try to enforce the curfew violations? At the same time, if you see, <clears throat> just for example, group of 15 year olds that are out on the street or are hanging out at one o'clock in the morning, I think a good inference is. They're, they're probably up to no good, or nothing good is ultimately going to happen. So if you rounded those kids up and, and took them down to juvenile detention and, and gave them a citation and kept them there till their parents picked them up, maybe, just maybe, you could keep them out of trouble. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. But it, it seems to me, I guess, we got to go one of two ways. We have to either say... All right, we don't care about the curfews. Let let the kids run the streets at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then we'll deal with the aftermath of their carnage. Or we have to say we're going to start trying to figure out ways to aggressively enforce these curfew ordinances. But having it and not doing it makes absolutely no sense to me. I would say let's try, give it a try. Let's start rounding up those those 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds that you see out on the street at 1.30 in the morning. And I'm not talking about the kid that's coming back from his job at Subway or whatever at 11.15. You know exactly what I mean. You know, the gangs of kids that are roaming the streets at 1 o'clock in the morning, none of whom is over 16 years old, who really are up to no good or the likelihood is they're going to find trouble somewhere. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff, I can't speak for other jurisdictions, but at our police department, using curfew enforcement is a nice tool to have when the kids aren't behaving. We like to issue the curfew tickets to those that are out doing no good or if we're having constant problems in the village. But otherwise, we like to give the kids a little freedom as long as it's not well after the curfew. It's kind of like a penalty enhancer when you're out screwing up, but something we can use at our discretion when you're not. But you're also correct. It would be more effective to give the parents a ticket. See, that's... I just the blah 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 is what's driving me crazy because okay you have the that's why I went back to like last May I'm looking at all the press coverage spent 15 minutes tracking stuff down this morning and it's all oh, we're going to start enforcing the curfew because you know we the, these young people you know we we don't want them on the streets and that makes sense 
Look, let's face it. If you've got a gang of 14-year-olds that's running the streets at 1 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday night, they're up to no good. They're likely to get in, or even if they have the noblest of intentions, they're likely to get into trouble because there's just nothing good that they are going to find on the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning. So we've got these tools. Why don't we start rounding them up, getting them off the streets, picking them up, maybe taking them to detention, keeping them there for a few hours until their parents pick them up or whatever, and then giving out tickets, including to the parents, and just maybe, maybe you can discourage a couple of them from being in positions where they're going to be stealing cars or breaking windows and vandalizing vehicles or, you know, worse yet, committing armed robberies or getting shot when some Somebody else is, you know, driving around shooting up the town. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, our Beachtown public restrooms keep getting vandalized, causing thousands of dollars and causing thousands of dollars. Obviously, it's local youths that are causing the damage that's there. Jeff, um, good topic. This shows that the leaders of Milwaukee are not serious about solving the crime epidemic. Um, They say one thing, they do another. It's lip service. Jeff, I'd get rid of the curfew and concentrate on investigating crime. Rousting a bunch of kids for curfew isn't going to incentivize cooperation with police. It just supports the view that they are an occupying army. Okay, Okay, well then, I, I guess my, my point would be then let's just forget about it. Let's say if you want to have your 14-year-old kid run in the streets at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, go with God. And then just what, what do we think is going to happen? Now, the same texture says resources are indeed limited. Curfew violations drain them. I'm a frequent caller to District 3. Our little neighborhood is troubled by a few thugs making life miserable right now. Curfew enforcement wouldn't help. More time to seriously run down complaints would. Well, I guess I don't accept the notion that, that it's an either or. And, and maybe... Wouldn't it be interesting that okay on, on some weekend night we just say okay we're we're going to we're not going to notif- we're not going to give people notices in advance but we are going to do aggressive and curfew enforcement and we're going to target some of this and we're going to drive around the streets and we see those the gangs of the fourteen year olds that are out on the street at two thirty in the morning we're going to pick them up just you, even if you can't do it every night maybe if you do it once in a while that would be the issue. Um, uh, 855-616-1620. Um, let's see. Curfew violations and politicians, nothing being done, just like the Office of Violence Prevention, millions of dollars and all talk. Take the OVP dollars, that's Office of Violence Prevention dollars, hire more police and build more detention centers. I was at dinner last night, and I, I again, one of the, the comedy lines is, you're building this new juvenile detention facility, as we talked about before, uh, on the northwest side, just uh, north of Good Hope Road, and a little bit to the west of 76 there, and it's going to have like 32 beds? It's just, it's it's a joke. You need 400 beds. That that's That's what we need to do. But why have these, why, if we're not going to do this, why have the rules, why have the laws. Jeff, local jurisdictions don't have the money to hire the number of police officers uh, to to take care of this. The legislature needs to give a cost of living increase to cities so they can do what needs to be done. Well, that's one of the things that they're they're looking at is providing more money to cities with the idea that, you know, 40 percent of it or 50 percent of it has to be used on police officers and has to be used on firefighters. Adam in Waukesha. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hi. Good morning or good afternoon. I've been waiting for the subject to come up. I All of these Band-Aid solutions are not going to work. My opinion, all of these minors have one common denominator. They all have a guardian, a legal guardian who's responsible for their conduct. Charge the guardian with something. That kid that shot that teacher, where did the teacher have the, uh, where did the parent have the gun laying on the floor next to their kid's toys? Charge maybe not with attempted murder, but charge it with something. Because if I, I lived at home until I was 22, if I would have done anything, even if I were an adult living under my parents' guide, my dad would have busted a two-by-four over my head. Charge <laughs> the guardian, and it'll stop. Adam, thanks for the call. Well, that was one of the things that when we talk about the lip service, remember that was one of the things like last spring when, when they announced, okay, we're going to start enforcing these curfews in Milwaukee and we're going to start giving tickets not only to the kids, but we're going to start giving tickets to the parents. Well, all right, again, maybe a dozen, maybe tickets, you know, issued out total. Why, why bother even talking about this? One of our texters said, well, I, I just, I don't see how you can, this is in China. How can you just sweep people up off the streets? Well, it's because there's curfews. You've got, you, if that's the case, if we're going to say, okay, we're not going to enforce this, then just, just get rid of it. Okay, say we don't we don't care if you've got thirteen or fourteen year olds running the streets at two and three o'clock in the morning. Like okay, like what what are why is a thirteen year old kid out on the street at two or three in the morning? Um, nothing good is going to come of that. It's not China. It is a violation of the law to be out there and candidly sweeping up thirteen or fourteen year olds who are running the streets at two or three o'clock in the morning does the community a favor and it actually does the kids a favor because the chances of them getting into really serious trouble and catching a bullet in some drive by shooting or stealing a car and getting involved in that high speed police chase, yeah, it, it gets it gets a lot better. Jeff, how about bringing back, you know, some of those those giant um they're using the you know, some just do, do a sweep. And, and, yeah, that's see, that's what I would I would say. OK, let's pick a Friday night and say, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to we're going to do a sweep and we're going to go pick up the kids that are out there at two o'clock in the morning. Again, I'm not talking about the the guy, the the 16 year old that works till 11 o'clock at night at the Kinko's or whatever and is on his way home. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the the six or seven kids that are roaming the streets or hanging out in the parking lot at one thirty in the morning. And it does raise this other question as well. And I I know it's too simplistic to say, where are the parents? And I understand it's a different time, but I'm trying to imagine when I was 14 years old, I mean, there's just, there is no way that my parents would have let me be out on the streets at two o'clock in the morning on a Friday or Saturday or a Tuesday or, or whenever. And if they found out that I had been at a sleepover or something and I had snuck out and I was on the streets at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, that would be the last time that I would be out of their house for a long time. But maybe that's too much to ask to expect parents to be doing, what do we say, parenting. The primary election for the state Supreme Court race is coming up you know, February 21st. So what's that? That's... um. You know, a week from from Tuesday. And we're going to start talking more about that race. But here, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, one of the things I'm here for is to provide an institutional memory of this. Uh, Fox 6 and maybe other stations had it. I just saw it on Fox 6 has just released a, a video of if you will remember back right before Thanksgiving in 2020. So two and a half years ago, Mayfair Mall, three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, there was a 15-year-old at the time. His name is Xavier Sevilla, who 
fired 17 shots at Mayfair Mall. He was coming down an escalator and just opened fire. And there's a new video showing, um, first of all, like people scrambling, running for their life at Mayfair, and then also showing the arrest. Because after this 15-year-old shot up Mayfair Mall, he was caught trying to leave town the day after the shooting, being helped by, I think, some adults there. And, you know, he was he was caught and was being prosecuted. You might also remember, and this is where I come in with my institutional memory, there is a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. Um, she's in juvenile court. Her name is Brittany Grayson. So here you have a 15-year-old who shot up Mayfair Mall at 3 o'clock on, on the 20th, and what, November 20th of 2020, and she had ruled that, no, he should not be treated as an adult. She said, we're, we're going to treat him as a juvenile because we want to get him some we want to get him some help. And the DA's office, to their credit, appealed this. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And by a four to three vote, the four conservative justices voting no, treat him as an adult. The three liberal justices saying, oh, no, let's send him back. Let's keep this treated as a juvenile. If not for the four to three conservative majority on the state Supreme Court, this thug would have been sent to juvenile court and slapped on the wrist. But because there's a four to three conservative majority in the state Supreme Court, that's not how it played out. I've got a link. If you follow me on Twitter, um, at Jeff Wagner 620, I've got a link to the story. You can see the shooting. But the, the more important thing is what has happened is this, this thug is now 17. He's pled guilty and um, he's scheduled to be sentenced in early March next month to multiple counts of first degree reckless injury with a dangerous weapon. So at least there's going to be a, some accountability. He's going to have a felony on his record. Presumably he will do some time. Almost none of this would have happened if there was not a conservative majority on the state Supreme Court. Elections do matter. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I am so glad to have you with us. All right, as I was mentioning, you've got a state Supreme Court primary election that is coming up a week from next Tuesday. It is the 21st. There are four candidates who are running. Uh, two are, are liberal. One is a, a judge from Dane County named Everett Mitchell. It, it, it's sort of interesting. Matter of fact, if, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, it's, there's an interesting piece because Mitchell is apparently not getting a lot of traction as he runs in his race against the other liberal, and all four of them are going to be at the ballot at the same time, but Janet Protasewicz, who is very, very liberal, she's a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge, but she got in the race early. She got a lot of liberal support. She's got um, some special interest group money that's supporting her. There's a really provocative piece that, that's circulating in kind of the, the left stream, the, the left you know, um, universe about wondering about whether or not, you know, liberals are supporting Protosewitz over Mitchell and whether that's driven by racial concerns, you know, are what we you know what's going on here is, is, is some of the, the liberal thing. Are, are they 
are they supporting Protasewicz because she's white as opposed to Mitchell, who's black? And I not my side of the aisle, but it's kind of an interesting twist on that. On the conservative side, the two people who are running, and I think folks know this now, Dan Kelly, who was appointed to the state Supreme Court in 2016 by Scott Walker. He ran for election to a 10-year term in 2020 and lost pretty decisively. He, he's been running for that seat for a while. Uh, the other conservative is running is Jennifer Doro. She is, of course, the Waukesha County Circuit Judge who presided over the Daryl Brooks trial. So uh, Doro got in the race late. I mean, she didn't get in the race till what, like December or something like that. But but she's she's raised a whole bunch of money, and you'll you'll hear ads for both Kelly and for Doro on on our on our air. And I, I think the conventional wisdom is that you're going to have of these four candidates, you're going to have a liberal emerge, and you're going to have a conservative that ends up emerging. What has been interesting is that of the two conservative candidates, uh, Jennifer Doro has taken what I would describe to be the, the high road. I mean, when she goes out and campaigns, generally speaking, she's been talking about you know her views and how she differs from the, the liberals who are running for the court. Kelly, on the other hand, um, has has decided he's been lashing out at, at Doro. And there's a, another story that appears in the Journal Sentinel. I mean, first of all, a couple weeks ago, he announced that he would not commit to supporting her if she was if she beat him in the primary, which I think raised a lot of eyebrows. I mean, what, what, what do you mean? Does that mean you're going to you know throw your support behind one of the two liberal candidates? Now, there's another story in the local newspaper about how apparently at an event in Dane County earlier this week, first of all, Dan Kelly said he wouldn't commit to endorsing Doro if she won the primary election and then, you know, went on to attack her, questioning about her qualifications and whether she's a true conservative. All right. I I just I sent out a tweet about this yesterday and I've got a link to the story. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, here was my take on on this. Come on, man. Dan Kelly obviously feels like he's not gaining any traction in the Supreme Court race and feels the need to lash out against Jennifer Doro. He really needs to do himself and conservatives across Wisconsin a favor and knock it off. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. As you look at the Supreme Court race, understanding that in reality it's probably going to be one conservative emerging and one liberal emerging, it is... Is it constructive to have, say, the conservative candidates, or in this case, one of the conservative candidates, decide that they want to run a scorched earth type of campaign? And is that something that, well, makes you more inclined to vote for the person who's doing that? I mean, I I go back to, I have no problem admitting I'm a Ronald Reagan conservative, and Reagan's 11th commandment was always, well, you know, essentially, you, you shouldn't trash fellow Republicans. In this case, it's not Republican-Democrat, it's liberal-conservative. But, all right, this campaign tactic, how do you react to it? Let's Let's talk a little bit about the state Supreme Court race. We haven't given as much attention as it perhaps deserves, given the significance of this. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. 
how do you feel about one of the two conservative candidates deciding they're going to trash the other one? We discuss in just a moment. Look, I, I've I've already voted in in the primary, okay? So, and I, I voted for one of the two conservatives, but there's no question that if the candidate I chose does not emerge from the primary and the other conservative does, I'm going to have no problem supporting them in the general election because there, there really is a, a huge choice that is out there. And, and this idea that we're going to have one of the candidates using this kind of scorched earth thing going after the other conservative, my response is, again, it's it's come on, man. Let's start with Craig in New Berlin. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good. How you doing? I'm well. Thank I'm, you. I'm definitely you for Doro. I'm for Doro, and I've gone to uh, two times where uh, Justice Kelly has talked, and he's cocky, he's arrogant. You know, he's saying that he's not going to back anybody unless they can show him writings they did. Well, nobody's going to have been a justice before, so they can't prove anything what they would do at that point. But you know, I mean, if I'm going for Doro, and if Doro loses, I have no choice but to back Kelly because I'm I have to support my side, my team. Yeah. And I think he's just another Rebecca Clayfish is what he is. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm getting a number of texts that were very disappointed that um, after the primary election, Rebecca Clayfish didn't come out and campaign for Tim Michael. So that's what you're referring to, huh? A- absolutely. Like Kelly, you know, I, you know, he just straight out said he's not voting. Or he won't support her at all. And he's just, he's cocky and he's arrogant. And he just reminds me of Rebecca Clayfish. You know, like yeah. Rebecca okay. Clayfish never came out. She she didn't endorse, endorse Tony. You know, she should have came out and endorsed Tony. Tony had nothing to do with uh, the governor race. Okay, Craig, thanks for calling. I get it. I mean, I, I understand. Now, it, you know, Rebecca Clayfish felt that she was unfairly attacked during the primary by, by Tim Michaels and just didn't feel that. You know, she wanted to support him. I, I think I'm not putting words in her mouth. But I, again, this, I, I think, you know, especially when you have candidates, and, and the, the Clayfish Michaels race is, an, is a good example of it. I think when you have candidates where there's really not any intellectual, it, it really very, very little intellectual difference between the two. I'm going to talk about on, on issues and things like that, that this kind of scorched earth theory really. I think it does not work. Jeff, I think this is a really awful tactic, especially when you think about your overall views and how things should be run. And the fact that even if you lose, you still have a pretty good job. It's not like you end up in the streets. If you lose the race, I think the tactic is very lame. Jeff, because of Dan Kelly's temper tantrum, I will never vote for the man, even if he makes it through the primary. I will also never vote for his surrogates currently serving on the appeals and Supreme Court again either. Jeff, liberals have always been better at getting behind their candidates than what conservatives have. I think there's there is an element of that. You know, you you know, it, it was interesting. Think back to the US Senate race. And you had four candidates who were running for the Democratic nomination to take on Ron Johnson. You you and ultimately you had it was it was Mandela Barnes, but because the other three candidates just kind of bailed at, at within a week or two before the election, they, they just bailed, and, and nobody was willing to uh, again run an aggressive primary campaign that perhaps 
challenged Barnes's qualification. And I made this point at the time. I think you can make a strong argument, especially in retrospect, that maybe Mandela Barnes was the, the weakest of all the four candidates that were out there. And if any of the other three of them had, had come through that primary, maybe they would have beaten Ron Johnson. But again, you had all the Democrats that fell into lockstep, and the general thing was, well, we can't attack each other, and we, we can't. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the weakest candidate that emerges. But that's that's what the Democrats ended up doing. They just kind of all lined up. Jeff, why does liberal conservative matter? Isn't the law the law? Well, here's the thing, and this is what people need to understand. The law is an art. It is not a science. And the people who serve as judges bring their, I'm going to say, biases and prejudices. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I I mean, you know, we, we all have biases. We all have prejudices. We all have interpretations. There's some people who believe, well, again, in interpreting the law, that um, the role of a judge is to kind of act as the as a super legislator. If you look at, at a law that's on the books and you decide that this law results in, would, by enforcing the law, interpreting the law would result in a result that you don't think is fair or you don't think is right, well, then what you do is you try to find a way to strike down the law or avoid the law. Whereas if you've got a judicial conservative, most times it's going to be, look, I'm not necessarily thrilled with the result, and if I were king and I were drafting the laws, I would perhaps write the law in a different way, but this is the result that is compelled by the law. You also have... And and one of the things that's changed markedly in this election is you have at least one of the candidates, that would be the liberal Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Janet Protosiewicz, she's she's running ads essentially telling how she would interpret the law. She's very, very clear. I mean, it's kind of it's going to be all abortion all the time. And she's been very, very clear about how she feels about abortion. And there's a case before the Supreme Court that's going to require them to interpret the 1849 law. She's been very very clear on that she's been very clear about how she feels about the gerrymandering situation and um so she's not making any secrets about how she is going to vote so yes the law is the law but the way the judges interpret this um is different jeff has doro unequivocally said she'd support kelly if he's the candidate yes 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 she has that's uh, one of the big distinctions about this jeff this is politics and as usual i think it's wrong people need to run on their qualifications and their qualifications only william on the east side william you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff how are you hi good what do you think yeah uh, I, I, I i okay qualifications between judge doro and uh i think kelly's probably more responsible in terms that He's been on the bench, you know, longer. I mean, I, I, I like them both, but I have to admit, living on the east side, I have a neighbor that, well, he has passed away. You, you probably know him, Terry Evans, okay? I Judge Evans, absolutely. I used to practice in front of Judge Evans when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yes, 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 sir. And he went, he said, that man was so incredible, I mean, as, as a neighbor of mine. It's support the one that you know who's going to be best on the bench, and I'm going, yes. And I, I, I think Kelly probably, Doro, I do. I know her qualifications yet. I don't know. Okay. Well, I, uh, I mean, thanks to call. I, I mean, I, I, 
I appreciate it. I just um, I, I want to be I want to be clear before I say this. You know, you, you said like experience, and I mean, Judge Doro has been on the Waukesha Circuit bench for. Uh, 11 years and before that she was a DA and before that she was in private practice including doing you know criminal defense um just uh, Kelly um I'm trying to remember if he was if he ever served as a circuit court judge he he was appointed to the bench by Scott Walker to serve as a justice on the Supreme Court um, but he actually, he, he was there for four years. Um, actually, Jennifer Doro has been a judge for a lot longer than Dan Kelly was on the bench. But I, I, I don't want to get into the relative merits of the two of them. It's just, it's this tactic that I guess it kind of makes my head explode. And you, you can decide, are you going to vote for Dan Kelly? Are you going to vote for Jennifer Doro? If you're a conservative, that, that's, that, and that's a fair dispute and fair debate. It's just this tactic of let's have conservatives eat their own that I think is really very a, a very bad precedent. And when you see one of the candidates doing it, it tells me that that candidate is perceiving that they are in trouble because you wouldn't do it unless you felt that you were in trouble. Sometimes... It just is what it is. I know there's a number of people who are kind of raising their their eyebrows at this decision that was announced yesterday. Ashland County, far northwest portion of the state. The district attorney uh, yesterday announced that they're not going to be issuing criminal charges against the former state Senate Democratic leader. Her name is Janet Buley. Um, you might remember the story. July 2nd, July 22nd, she's pulling out of like a, a park up in that area. She's uh, speaking on, she's talking to, I think, a Journal Sentinel reporter, but she, she's doing that hands-free. And she had just had cataract surgery the day before. What happens is a, a car coming along they slam they, they slam into each other is what happens and they were looking at whether or not there would be charges issued against the former state uh, senate leader um for for her role in this and the da's office said there's not sufficient evidence to prove these allegations beyond a reasonable doubt so the there, there's people okay is this politics and look i i understand that there's conspiracy theories all over but here's I mean, here, here's the thing. There is a civil lawsuit that's been filed against uh, Buley and other people in connection with this. And they're, they're alleging that, you know, she failed to maintain a proper lookout and that she was distracted by driving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but here's, here's the, the, this, the big piece of evidence. The car that Buley hit when she pulled out was going 100 miles an hour. Apparently, it was going 100 miles an hour, and they found uh, a vape pen that contained some this compound that they call weed light that was in her blood. So you've got a situation where somebody kind of pulls out, then there's a collision, but the car that, that's involved in the collision is driving 100 miles an hour. I understand perfectly why the DA looks at this and says, look, I don't have a basis given the fact that everybody is kind of in the wrong here. I don't have a basis for bringing criminal charges against any particular person. If the woman had been driving the speed limit, it might have been a different circumstance. But the woman who died, she's going 100 miles an hour in the car. I understand exactly why the DA made the decision not to bring charges. 
I would have probably done the same. This is, it's a case for civil court. You have damage and stuff, but trying to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, that, that's just not in the cards. This is a, it's a weird story that I, I don't quite know what to make of it yet. And, but I, I bring it up just to say, okay, maybe we'll, we'll talk about this more as more information comes out. Here's the headline. Reports of recording equipment secretly installed in Green Bay City Hall spurs critics. Big Brother is listening. We the people are not amused. News that city people in City Hall may have their conversations recorded without their knowledge has prompted powerful reactions. Um, meanwhile, officials have provided no clear answer about whether the recordings the city is capable of making, at least on the building's lower floors, is or is not legal. Um, okay, so here's here's the deal, apparently, that, that's coming out. Uh, the, the mayor or at least somebody, has installed microphones in the security system. And they didn't tell anybody uh, about this. And they're being very closed-lipped about this because they, they haven't alerted anybody that there's there's microphones in these security systems. And it, it's not clear at all what they are, are picking up. So, I mean, I think what's going on here is, like on the second floor of the, the courthouse. They, they've installed the, these microphones that are are apparently picking up conversations that I think people have in the halls that, you know, maybe you, you know, you're there, you're standing out in the hallway, you're talking to somebody else, and, and it can be picked up and it can be recorded. Now, it's not unusual when you go into you know buildings nowadays that there will be cameras that are out there that will be filming you and if you see the, those cameras maybe i don't know maybe there's an expectation that there's going to be sound recording and, and so far the the mayor and the officials up in green bay are, are they're not sharing what they're recording and when they decided to make these recordings and what the purpose of these recordings are now obviously if you've got you know um microphones or something that might be in an area where the public's going to be like the the city council chambers or or something like that it's one thing but if you're recording private conversations that people have out in the hallways like i'm i'm there waiting to go before some common council committee and i'm there with my lawyer and you know we're out in the hallway and we're having this this conversation about you know what our tactics are going to be or whatever if they're recording that that that's a big deal. Now I don't know for sure because again, once the, this news broke that there were these recording devices, authorities in Green Bay are now very hush hush about this, and, and they're not saying what it is they're recording and what the scope of it is. But if you're if you are bugging or or eavesdropping electronically on people in public spaces without their knowledge, I, I think there, there's a potential. That you're, you know, perhaps violating the law. At the very least, I think it's very, very bad public policy. I mean, it's one thing to to be recorded if you're in an area where you expect that. But like I say, if I'm if I'm in a hallway just having a conversation, I don't think there's an expectation that my comments are going to be recorded. Or if they are, there certainly should be public signs displaying all conversations are recorded. Kind of like when you go into a <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a jail. I mean, I I have I have been in a jail from the perspective of, you know, just 
going and talking to you know inmates who are going to be witnesses and stuff. And there's big signs up that say, okay, the conversations you have are subject to being recorded. But that's a jail. That's not Green Bay City Hall. So this is a story. I don't know how it's going to ultimately play out. But if they are really bugging people, I think it's going to be something where people are going to have some questions. All right. Here is the story. We have talked on multiple occasions about the decision that the Milwaukee County Transit System has made to take, what is it, about $40 million or so and, and build a quote-unquote high-speed bus line which is going to essentially take up a lane of traffic, and it's going to run from the lakefront out to the medical college. And it will knock off like eight minutes. And uh, eight minutes. And, and the argument is, oh, we're going to have thousands of people who are going to ride this because now it, you could get out there eight minutes faster. And I, I just... I just, as we've talked about before, I think that's silly. I mean, it's just that this idea that, oh, now that we've got this, you know, not so high speed bus line, that suddenly people are going to drive to wherever they have to drive, park their cars, get on a bus and take it out to the medical college for an appointment at freighter or whatever. I, I think it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. On top of that, to the extent that they argue that, well, we need this bus line to help connect people to jobs, the reality is, you know, assuming once somebody gets a job, starts making a little bit of money, what's the first thing they do? Well, they, they buy a car because they want the, the freedom of driving around. But that ship has sailed. We're going to have that high-speed bus line. But here's the latest. There is another planning thing that is going on. They want to take $150 million and open up an 18-mile north-south bus rapid transit project, which would do the same thing, carve out a dedicated lane of traffic, and, and essentially have have a bus that would run from Bayshore Shopping Center, Bayshore Town Center, I guess is what they call it now, down, all the way down to Franklin. And the big argument has been, okay, we need this because this is a way of connecting people with, with jobs. Because the, the current bus line, well, it does that, but you have to, it might take a little bit longer to get to the jobs. Okay, so that's been the argument, and this is under study, and they're trying to get, you know, a, a good chunk of the money. I think the plan would be the county, which is broke, would have to come up with $30 million, and they'd like to get $120 million from the feds. But the whole way this has been sold is we, we need to connect it with jobs. Okay, well, what's the news from this week that might be relevant to that? Well, I'll give you three guesses, and the first two don't count. Northwestern Mutual, which had that huge campus, 2,000 employees down in Franklin, and there was a time when, when people thought they were going to expand beyond that. They're bailing on Franklin. So that's where the, this rapid bus line was supposed to end. It was supposed to end down in Franklin. So the idea would be, hey, this is a way that we can you know, get – Get people who work at that Franklin campus. They'll take the bus. They'll, they'll go down there. Well, now th- that's going to be vacant, and, and maybe they'll find somebody to come in there. Maybe they won't. I, I don't know. But one of the big justifications for running this bus line, it seems to me, has now kind of disappeared because those 2,000-plus jobs that were at the end of one line, they are now gone. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. A north-south bus rapid transit line at a cost of $150 million thereabouts. Good idea, bad idea. 
tremendous waste of money, giant white elephant, the trolley on steroids, or something that we need for the community. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key and get yourself free. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. You can never go wrong with a little bit of Paul Simon. Look, I I, I only come this way but once. So the... the it, it, it's sort of like, remember the old Simpsons episode where they had monorail, monorail. We, we played that from, from time to time. This bus rapid transit thing is exactly the same idea. Now they're going to, they're going to do this down Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound Road to hook up the Lower East Side and the Lakefront out with the, um, with the, the medical college. And, and that's, I guess we'll see the numbers that they are throwing around about increased ridership are to me completely pie in the sky. Just like when, you know, we had the money spent on the streetcar, they threw around these numbers that have no relationship to reality, at least given the fact that the assumptions were that people would pay to ride, that they can't even get the numbers they predicted giving the rides away for free. But this is, this is a lot more money. 100 and ballpark 150 million and that's you know so if they say it's 150 million you figure it's probably 175 million at, at least and it's a the, this would be a north south corridor bayshore town center down to essentially where the northwestern mutual facility was and i say was because that's going away 18 miles they say it could knock off at tops 15 minutes so that's 15 minutes you would save if you got on at, at Bayshore and you rode it all the way down to the end in Franklin. You would save 15 minutes. The projections I'm looking at say it would increase ridership by like 50 to 60 percent. So in other words, that, that 15 minutes, the claim is, would would double would double the rider, would increase by 50%? I, I mean, seriously, at a cost of $150 million, I would argue that for the people who are riding it, it would be, gosh, it might almost be more cost-effective to lease people cars rather than, than do that. And there's already, if you want to talk about improving the bus service that, that's there, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. But when you build these high-speed lines and you make this commitment, you are extremely vulnerable to exactly what's happened. Oh, you know, we want to connect people to the Northwestern Mutual Facility in Franklin. Well, the Northwestern Mutual Facility in Franklin is, is going to be shut down. Um, Jeff, I would like to see some of the drugs that these people are on. Um, Jeff, total waste of money towards other services. Um, yeah, Jeff, they can't find drivers for the highway flyers. How will they find drivers for these buses? Well, I think there's kind of an element of that. Let's talk to Jack in Caledonia. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Well, there's a couple things. I live in the, in the Racine area, and when the buses are driving around there all, all the time of day, and there's nobody in them, you know, one, two people in a, in a huge bus. Uh, I don't know what the Milwaukee ridership is, um, but I think they have to do a, a, a couple-year market study to see if there's people that are going to use it for more than a year at a time, you know. Um, put that yeah. kind of money into a, uh, into something, it's just, it's just utterly ridiculous. You well, know, get, well, get a yeah, bunch I mean, of Uber drivers and have to drive people around. 
<laughs> yeah, Jack, th- thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. Now, I mean, I see, I have always believed, and I continue to believe, that the, these high-speed bus rapid transit lines, and I say high-speed, it's in air quotes, but the, these rapid transit lines are stalking horses for light rail. And I, I think the next step that you're going to see is, hey, let's take a couple hundred million dollars. We've already got the dedicated lane. Let's get rid of the buses. And, and here, we'll just we'll just lay the streetcar tracks and we'll run this back and forth. But I, I mean, I live in the real world. And th- this idea that to, to save eight minutes, you are going to somehow dramatically change because they have buses that, that run back and forth that now you're going to have thousands of more people that because if you ride the bus the whole length from say the east side out to the medical college you can save eight minutes it's just it doesn't make any real world sense to me and this is even crazier because this is at least a hundred and fifty million dollars and the idea is at best at best, it's going to be you can knock 15 minutes off your ride, but that's only somebody that rides it the entire way. And how many people, as a practical matter, are really going to be, okay, you live in Glendale, so you're going to drive to Bayshore, you're going to park your car, and then what you're going to do is you're going to hop on this, and you're going to take it like all the way down to Franklin, and you're going to do this simply because you, you can save 15 minutes? No, you're, you're, going to drive, you're going to drive down to Franklin. That's what you're going to do. Now, one of our texters does make an interesting point. Jeff, what about like a reverse engineering? says, well, how about is there a possibility that people who are working in Franklin now might take the bus and, and use it to drive downtown? I think it would be interesting to see how many people that live in Franklin are the ones that are actually, you know, working at this facility as opposed to, you know, people who are, you know, working at the at Northwestern Mutual but drive. They've got a huge parking lot and that parking lot is full most of the time. Jeff, I don't believe their estimated projection numbers didn't they learn anything from the flop? I mean the hop. Well, I think that's the question. Jeff, this is the trolley on steroids. The bus company doesn't have enough money or drivers now. You know, there's they don't drive to the ethnic festival, Summerfest, State Fair, etc. I'm not sure if they're still running the freeway flyers or not. Somebody asked that yesterday, and I know they had they had stopped them. Whether or not they still, I, I don't think they do, but don't quote me on that. Let's see, Jeff. I think you should resurrect the freeway flyer. I I would actually, uh, again, I, I think. That, to me, would be a starting point before you spend a ton of money, you know, tearing out, you know, um, tearing out a lane of traffic and investing all this money. You know, if you really want to, for example, move people from the suburbs to downtown or whatever, I I think that's what you want to try to look at. Um, You know, no question uh, about that. So, you know, you've got that. You've got the carpools. I just I think, you know. We, they throw around these numbers, and everybody thinks this is this bright, shiny new toy, and, and here we, we've got to have it. And the reality is, just like the trolley, once it gets there, well, okay, the projections don't match up. I think you're going to see that with the east-west line, but that discussion has passed. I mean, they're going to start running that, I think, sometime in the spring or early summer. But before we spend $150 million, including $30 million that the county flat-out doesn't have, Maybe you really need, like our caller Jack was saying, you need to really do years of market studies instead of just believing what people who kind of have a vested interest in this suggest. Okay, looking at a breaking news report, 
Uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, our government learns from some of their mistakes. The breaking news here, the U.S. has shot down another high-altitude object over the waters off Alaska. The Pentagon revealed Friday, six days after a fighter jet took out the Chinese spy balloon off the coast of South Carolina. The latest object, I'm looking at the story now, was detected within the last 24 hours was downed on President Biden's order. The object was flying at an altitude of 40,000 feet and posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flights. So in this particular case, for all the people who were saying, well, no, Biden did the right thing by letting the spy balloon fly all the way across the country, I think in retrospect, what a lot of us were saying is once you see an unidentified object getting to a position where it's going to enter U.S. airspace, I I think the, the default position should be take it down. And um, it sounds like that's what we have started to do. Makes sense to me. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, this is the breaking news. Uh, within like a last hour or so, the U.S. has shot down Yet another unidentified flying object um, that was entering U.S. airspace, flying over Alaskan airspace. They'd been tracking it for the last 24 hours. This was flying a little bit lower. It was 40,000 feet as opposed to 60,000 feet. Um, And so they say it posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight. I, I think more likely... I think the Pentagon recognized that they had made a blunder in allowing the, the Chinese spy balloon to go as far as it did. And so maybe this is a new policy. They don't know who this belonged to. They're calling it an object because they don't have any better description of it. They don't understand the full purpose of the object. They think that they're going to be able to recover debris because it fell over what they believe is frozen water. And maybe they can learn a little bit more about it. The object was described as roughly the size of a small car. I think the guess my response would be that if there are unidentified things floating over U.S. airspace I think the appropriate thing is to do is to shoot them down as soon as possible, as opposed to letting them travel over nuclear facilities in Montana or whatever. And that's I I applaud the Biden administration for doing it with this one. Okay, this is, of course, the weekend of the big game, the Super Bowl. I'm I'm still I'm kind of deciding what I'm going to do because. My wife is out of town for for the weekend, and so I'm sort of up to my own devices, and friends have invited me out to dinner tonight. Friends have invited me out to dinner tomorrow, and I have a couple different you know, options for doing stuff on, on Sunday for the Super Bowl. But you know what? I'm thinking maybe I'll just – I might just kind of hang out, me and the dog, and you know, watch the game and make a run to you know get some snacks and things like that because, like I said, my wife's out of town, so it's pretty much – you know, whatever snacks I want to get, I mean, it's 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 my call. One of the things, and I think Connie mentioned this in one of her newscasts, though, it is a giant controversy. And believe me, I understand this is the most significant thing going on in the world. But at the same time, it is one of these debates, you know, Pepsi or Coke or Ginger or Marianne, which goes on. And it has to do with a very, very popular snack that my guess is if you are attending a Super Bowl party or something, you might partake of. And that is that is chicken wings. Now, there are two types of chicken wings, essentially. There are chicken wings and there are boneless chicken wings. But here, here's the, the thing. 
boneless chicken wings, of course, they are not actually chicken wings because chicken wings aren't boneless. Boneless chicken wings are pieces of breast meat that are typically breaded, then they're cooked, and then they're tossed in a sauce. So they might be served with a dipping sauce like raw vegetables, and lots of people will eat boneless chicken wings instead of regular chicken wings. Now, the regular chicken wings, uh, like buffalo chicken wings, are very, very popular. Traditional buffalo chicken wing, deep-fried Tossed in a spicy sauce, the wing is breaded and, um, you know, deep fried. But these are actually chicken wings as opposed to the boneless chicken wings, which are breast meat. And then, you know, it's formed into a patty. All right. One segment. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. You are going to a party. And the choice is, gee, I hope they have chicken wings do you hope they have the regular chicken wings i'm talking about the traditional like buffalo chicken wings or are you hoping that they've got those boneless chicken wings all right how much of a traditionalist are you what do you prefer and why 855-616-1620 that's the old national bank talk and text line this is one of those age-old debates boneless chicken wings or regular chicken wings where do you come down and why? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Okay, you might be wondering what the connection is with that, that bump music. Well, we're talking about chicken wings, and that is, of course, Paul McCartney and wings. My producer, Charlie, said, I know it's a stretch, but I'm, I'm, I get it. Work with me. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. We are talking about it, it's the ultimate. It's the Super Bowl. Ginger and Marianne dispute, you know, which do you prefer? The, the traditional buffalo chicken wings, which are actually like the chicken wings, or boneless chicken wings, which really aren't chicken wings. Instead, they're like breast meat um, that's then, you know, deep fried and it's dumped in a sauce. 855-616-1620. Jeff, for me, chicken wings coated with flour and deep fried. Jeff, boneless chicken wings are only chicken strips under a different name. Imposters is what they are. Jeff, it's a party. No one wants to be slurping meat off a bone and then be left holding it, looking for where to throw it away in front of people. I don't even know. So I'd go to the party. I'd vote for boneless. Jeff, did you know chicken wings couldn't be given away at one time? Nobody wanted them. I learned this from a restaurant owner. Um, <laughs> Jeff, I, I wish it was as simple as one question. Add um, its root, my answer, at its root, my answer would be traditional wings. However, I'm a firm believer, and it depends on a lot of factors like the establishment, etc. Well, I, I, I mean, look, I, I understand you can have different variables and things like that, but I'm just talking about in general, which way do you go? Jeff, I love both varieties of chicken wings, but I know that they're not really very good for me. Um, is that why they also serve celery alongside so I don't feel as guilty? Jeff, bone in. Boneless chicken wings are just chicken tenders, and the hotter the sauce, the better. Jeff, it's got to be the real deal. Bone-in slathered with buffalo sauce. Jeff, bone-in all the way, buffalo style with blue cheese dressing. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Dan in Fond du Lac. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Oh, I like the, the flats. 
with the bone in. Oh, the with the, with the bone in. So you you would rather instead of just being able to get like the chicken nugget thing, you don't mind like navigating, holding them in your hands, and kind of gnawing them off the bones. No, if I like, I, I, like with the two bones in them instead of the yep. you know the ones like a little drumstick and the other ones like a flat. I like the flat right. ones with the two bones in them, and you slurp it right off. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Dan. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm sorry. Wings are gross. Oh, oh. Jeff, definitely boneless. By the way, this topic is making everybody hungry. Yeah, actually, my, my producer reminded me that outside, you know, we're we're off the, what do they call it? Food hall. I can't call it a food court. Food hall. We have uh, one of the, the stands that sells all sorts of different kinds of chicken wings and all. Jeff, Boneless chicken wings or simply chicken nuggets. Having said that, I end up loving them both. Mike in Mequon. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. You're, you're Hi, a Mike. lawyer. Wings has a wing has a bone in it. Then the yes. other one is a chicken tender. So that's bones. <laughs> that's the only way to have a wing. Okay. Plus, so you you object to you don't think that, so you reject the notion. You reject the notion that there's anything even like a boneless chicken wing, that, that that's kind of a non-sequitur, to use my lawyer term for you. Huh? No, it just yeah, does it's not like exist. Military, it's, like, it's like military intelligence. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Plus, there's a YouTube video that shows how to eat the wing when you twist it, and all you get is meat. So it doesn't even have to be that messy. All right. Well, there you go. Thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate it. A, a vote for tradition. Jeff, I'll always talk about wings. I don't care, traditional or boneless, but my wife and I are going to have a Bloody Mary and wings right now because we're listening to the show. Well, I actually think that is a great way to get an early start on your, your Super Bowl weekend. Bloody Mary and some wings. Get the celery along with it. Oh, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I've got about another 40 minutes to go um, with that. Jeff, traditional wings are the best. Traditional bone-in wings are the best. Okay, I am I am split on this because as a general rule, general rule, I prefer bone-in meats. There's a couple places we go where, like, like for example— it, I, I'm, I love pork chops, and my wife makes great pork chops. The bone-in pork chops that, that we get at a couple of the meat markets we go to are so, in my opinion, far superior to, like, the, the other types of pork chops you get. So I, as a general rule, I, I'm, I'm a bone-in guy whenever that's the whenever it, it makes sense to do that. And I, I think the same thing is true with chicken wings. But, but, but. There is also this practical element as well, and that is the the boneless chicken wings, which is kind of a non sequitur. I understand they are in many cases so much easier to eat. So if I'm I'm at a party, you know, and you've got that that little plate that you have, and you know, trying to you know, navigate and gnaw on the chicken wings, and then do you know whatever you got to do with what's left with the bones, the having the the boneless chicken wing is just so much easier to eat and it doesn't end up anywhere near as messy and the chances of it ending up you know on my shirt or my pants at the party and embarrassing myself are much less so i i can go either way normally i guess i would be a bone-in chicken wing guy but if i've got to navigate all this other stuff you know give me the boneless wings but the bottom line is we like it both ways rob in green bay ron you're rob you're on wtmj uh, I am a bone-in connoisseur with ranch dressing, and I'll tell you what, I could take that thing and 
I can swipe most of the meat off in one in one swoop. <laughs> okay, so so you 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 have perfected the art of, of not having to worry about kind of gnawing on the bones. You can just get it off and and move on right away. It, that's exactly that's correct. All right. Well, that thanks for your call, Rob. That's I got to I got to check out these YouTube things that say this. Okay. The uh, all right now. At, at first, it was about fifty fifty, but I am being swamped with texts. Um, and and boneless is pulling ahead. Jeff, boneless all the way. Jeff, I grew up hungry, so I'm happy with whatever. However, my wife thinks wings are cat food. Oh, come on, come on. Jeff, wings, boneless wings are the equivalent to the McRib. I'm not a fan of McRib, although a friend of mine who owns a whole bunch of McDonald's always takes me to task for that. Jeff, bone in, twice the flavor, twice the moisture. Yep. Well, again, this is one of the debates that that goes on. But I I will tell you, if I'm invited to a Super Bowl party, I'm not. Let me put it like this. I'm not going to walk out as long as they've got cold beer. And if they're serving wings, I'm not going to be too fussy about, like, which way you go. All right. As long as we're talking about stuff for the Super Bowl or thereafter, this, I want to tell you, that this this is grounds for impeachment and maybe prosecution. Now, I, I am... I am a bourbon aficionado, not as much as my, my dear friend Evan, who I'm kind of his wingman, but like bourbon. And so I, I've learned a lot about bourbon through him and I get to taste all sorts of good stuff. And there, there's it's like with fine wines, bourbons, you can you, you can find good stuff and then you can find really good stuff. And then you can find stuff that just goes for really, really stupid money. And there, there's no other way to describe it. And, and right now, one of the exclusive types of of bourbons that are out there and it's made by buffalo trace which is a kentucky distillery and it's it's pappy van winkle bourbon and they they have like five or six different types and it starts at like 10 years old bourbon that's aged for 10 years and that's rip van winkle and it goes all the way through like the the pappy van winkle which is aged for 23 years i've never had the 23 year i have had at one point in time a bottle of the 10 year old bourbon and and they charge they really do charge stupid money for it i mean you can on the secondary market for example you can get um you can get thousands of dollars for a bottle of 23-year-old Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. Now, I, 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 I have from time to time had expensive bourbons. I happen to like this stuff called George T. Stagg, and I, I've, I've had a bottle or two of that. And I have a friend who runs a liquor store who every once in a while he takes uh, pity on me. He actually, he, he, he adores my wife, and so it's because it's really like a gift to Fran, but, but I get it. So you get, like, exclusive bottles of, of bourbon, and he sells it to me for uh, closer to his cost or his cost, which this is a good friend to have with that. But anyhow, you, you've got this bourbon that's just, like, really, really stupid money, including, like, thousands of dollars uh, potentially on the secondary market. So here's the story. In Oregon— Oregon is one of these places where you have the state-owned liquor stores. It's not like Wisconsin, but it is like, I think Iowa is still like that. I know Virginia is like that. You know, all the liquor stores, the packaged goods stores, you are, are run by the state. So here's the story. Apparently, um, what's happened is you have a number of these liquor commissioners 
These are people who, like, um, they're members of the, the commission that regulates alcoholic beverage sales in Oregon. And here's what it turns out that they have been doing. They have been diverting bottles of this Pappy Van Winkle and other liquor from a state warehouse so they could buy it in stores. Now, this is you know very, very hard to get, very expensive bourbon. And so it's supposed to be like allocated, like at random to liquor stores. What these guys apparently were doing is that they were, okay, taking liquor, which was held in what they call the safety stock, which is the a reserve supply that's kept at a warehouse to replace bottles that broke in transit. And what they were doing is they would request hey, I, I, I see you've got a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. Well, what I want you to do is I want you to send it over to you know Bill's Liquor Store on 5th Street. And then what would happen is Bill's Liquor would call the commissioner, and once, once the liquor bottle came in, the commissioner would go over and buy it. So the general public wouldn't be able to, to get it. Now, I don't know if they were getting it for a discount or what the cost was, etc., but they were getting access to this exclusive stuff that nobody else could have. They are, needless to say, in a ton of trouble. Like I say, for my friends who are bourbon connoisseurs, if they found out state officials were doing this, they would be storming the offices with pitchforks and um, the the flaming torches. No question about it. So who would have thought you're going to risk your career to get a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle bourbon? Well, like I say, I've never had it, but I bet you it's pretty darn good. Gather round all. It's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the old National Bank talking text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner time brought to you by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. They are, by the way, expanding Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. One of our callers, and again, it's it's not going to be by the text line, one of our callers in the exclusive uh, discretion of my producer, Charlie, is going to win our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package, which are a coupon for two pizzas, a pizza cutter that I wish I had at home, a pizza cooler, and sticky notes. How about that? Um, coveted prize package exclusively in the discretion of my producer, Charlie. All right. Well, I was kind of hinting at what the topic was going to be for this Pop Culture Corner earlier in uh, the show. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got kind of links to it. All right. The Super Bowl is, of course, going to be on Sunday. And if, by the way, if you want a head start, if you don't want to watch the game, but you want to see the Super Bowl ads, I, I have I have a link that will will show you most of them um, that are going to be there. So if you don't want to watch the game and you want to see the ads in advance, I, I've got it. I'm there for you. But on top of that, uh, the Super Bowl ads, and this year they're going to cost six to seven million dollars for a thirty second spot. Six to seven million dollars for a thirty second spot. Um, some of the ads are, are great. Other ones you look at and say, huh, they just spent six to seven million dollars to run that ad. Sometimes the ads are creative, but you, you watch it and we'll, maybe we'll do this on Monday. We, we typically do something like this 
And you'll say, oh, that was a really cute ad that had the dogs or had whatever. And then I'll say, well, what was it an ad for? And people go, well, I don't exactly remember. To which I've always said, you know, if, if Good Karma Brands is going to spend $6 million to promote the Jeff Wagner show on the Super Bowl, <laughs> um, well, I guarantee you, you'd know that they were promoting the Jeff Wagner show. But that is just me. All right. For Pop Culture Corner, and I've got some hints Again, on my Twitter account, what I want to do is I want to take a walk down memory lane. My question to you is, think back on all the Super Bowl ads that you have seen over the last, well, the Super Bowl goes back to, what, 1967 or whatever. Think back on all the different Super Bowl ads that you've seen. What is, in your opinion, the most memorable Super Bowl ad? And if, if you want a hint, uh, like I say, on my Twitter account, at JeffWagner620, I've got two separate postings. I've got the ranked top 25 list of the best Super Bowl ads according to the Sporting News. And then I've got uh, another another list, the best 11 Super Bowl commercials. And it was kind of fun when I was looking at this. Kind of fun to go back and just kind of take a walk down memory lane and remember a lot of the ads. But your your nomination, the best Super Bowl, the most memorable Super Bowl ad of all times. 855-616-1620. Back with your calls and texts in just a moment. It's pop culture time. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I think all our phone lines are full, and my producer Charlie's got about five different things going on. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I, we might even have this one, Charlie. Jeff, I'll never forget that bizarre 1984 Super Bowl ad that introduced the Apple Macintosh computer. Never have I seen anything like that since, except in my nightmares. I think we have that one, right, Charlie? Yeah, that <laughs> that was that you know interestingly that ran in 1984. That's how long ago that was. And and Steve Jobs, uh for all the attention that ad got, they fired him the <laughs> they fired him the next year. Let's talk. Okay, let's start out. Let's go to Steve in Illinois. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good good afternoon. My uh, Hi, my all-time favorite Super Bowl ad is it's a, it's more of a retro ad. Peter Fonda zipping up to a bar somewhere out west in a Mercedes-Benz convertible. It's an ad for Mercedes-Benz. He gets out. Right. He walks into the bar, walks to the jukebox. The only thing on the jukebox is uh, Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. <laughs> right. Everybody in the bar is looking at him like, this guy is so cool. He walks back out, gets in the Mercedes, and takes off into the sunset. And one of the ladies looks, looks and goes into the camera. He's still got it. Yep. Yep. I know. I remember. Steve, thanks. To God. I remember. And of course, that's an homage to, you know, the 1969 movie, um, uh, the 1969 movie uh, Easy Rider, of course. Herb in North Prairie. Herb, you're on WTMJ. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. I'm a big uh, Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And uh, back when the Steelers were Super Bowl teams, they had the commercial with uh, mean Joe Green uh, walking out the tunnel after a game all sweaty, and he took his shirt off and tossed it to a kid. I think it was a Coca-Cola commercial. Right. Very, very good. Oh, I do. Thanks for calling. As a matter of fact, 
if you look at a lot of these these lists, and, and I, again, I did this, and I posted a couple of my Twitter accounts just because I was trying to refresh my recollection of some of these, um, that it's it's a, you're exactly right, Herb. It's an ad for Coca-Cola. It's called Hey Kid Catch. It ran in 1980, so this is like 43 years old. I think we actually have this when the Mean Joe Green ad. Right, and that's of course, and and we obviously this is radio, so we don't have the visuals. But you know, he's all sweaty, and I think they the kid gives him a coke, and he throws the the jersey to him. What what, what a great one! Let's talk to Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I really love the, there's a Budweiser one with a little puppy. And I think it's yep. just called Budweiser Puppy. Um, and it's, it's, someone comes to the farm and buys the puppy, and it's in love with one of the horses, and the horse follows the car. And uh-huh. next thing you know, here comes the puppy back to the farm with all the horses. Super yep. sweet. Super cute. It, it is, Todd. Thank, thanks for calling. Matter of fact... If you follow me on Twitter, um, one of the, that's number ten. They, they call it Budweiser Puppy Love Ad, and you described it exactly like it was. It ran during Super Bowl Forty Eight, which was uh, February second of twenty fourteen. So that's that's nine years ago. But see, I, I'm sure you, you think about these ads, and it just it seems like it was just yesterday. The thing about Going back to what I was talking about earlier, the thing about the, the Budweiser ads, for example, you always know what they are. I mean, it, it's just when you see whether it's the Clydesdales or the Budweiser frogs or, you know, that you just it, it's instantly identifiable with the product. So, you know, it's there. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to, let's see, Cheryl in New Berlin. Cheryl, you're on WTMJ. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. I love you, love your show. Um, Thank you. My 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 commercial would be. Um, it's not the. I, I'm not sure what your your Twitter feed says because uh-huh. I'm not. I don't have a Twitter account. But my favorite was Betty White and the Snickers bar commercial where she gets tackled in the mud by the football player. Um, I'm not even sure what year it is, but I loved Betty White, and she had such a great sense of humor, and she was up for anything, and I just thought that was very, very clever and well done. Yeah, interestingly, if it's the same one that Snickers Betty White ad, um, I, I think that goes back about about thirteen years. There, it's um, I, February seventh, two thousand ten. If we're talking about the same one, but yeah, Betty White and Snickers again, just just uh, people just absolutely love that. Yes, so, I, it was yeah. just memorable, and and because I like Betty White so much, uh, it just it stuck in my mind. It will will well, forever. Cheryl. Uh, you, you have obviously touched a nerve with my producer, Charlie. You are the winner of our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package. So you get the two pizzas and you get the pizza cutter and all the other stuff that comes along with it. And thank you so much for listening to the program. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank Enjoy you. The have Super a great Bowl. weekend. Thank you. Thank I you. Yeah, I still I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Okay, let me. I have we are swamped with texts and I have ignored them. Let me go through some of these. Uh, Jeff, the Michael Jackson Pepsi commercial. I certainly remember that. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. Um, how about the baby boy talking about trading stocks, E-Trade? 
Um, yes, and he's arguing with his golf partner in the locker room, and he calls uh, the guy a shankopotamus. Yes, I remember that. Um, this is one that a couple of our texters are mentioning. It's the and it's it's on the list. It's the Budweiser Clydesdale ad that they ran um, after after September 11th, and, and yeah, that was. That was definitely one, um, not a dry eye in the house, no question about it. Jeff, I would say the best commercials between the frogs and the lizards in the Budweiser thing. Yep, got to love that. Um, I'm a sucker, uh, our friend Laura in Las Vegas says, I'm a sucker for any of the Budweiser Clydesdale uh, commercials. So very heartwarming. Um, Yes, Jeff, uh, years ago, Miller High Life had a one-second commercial with Wendell the beer guy screaming, High Life in the warehouse. It was as memorable as it was short. Um, Jeff, for me, the one that comes to mind is the Budweiser commercial with the frogs, Budweiser. Yep, you've got that one there. Um, a couple mentioning the E-Trade commercial. Um, you know, one of the ones that struck stuck out for me, it, it's a VW ad. Remember, it's it's a it's about twelve years old now, but it was the the force. It was the one where the the kid is dressed as dark Darth Vader, and he, he's out there, and he's like trying to. There's the VW, and he's like trying to lift it or stuff, and, and the dad or whatever is in the house and sees him, and he presses like the button, and the trunk goes up or something like that, and the kid just completely freaks out. I, I just I, I always loved that one. Um, let me see. The uh, Mean Joe Green is the one that's typically number one. Um, Jordan versus bird that goes back to 1993 um that was for mcdonald's that that worked in a big way we've got a couple others let's play the um charlie let's play the doritos ad people remember that it's my crystal ball it looks like a snow globe nah it's real here watch free doritos at the office today i think that's a yes you know, Doritos, remember the other, I think, I'm pretty sure it was a Doritos ad, was the Time Machine ad, where the, the guy he gives him up his Doritos and he gets into that cardboard box. We also have another, one of the really popular ones is this Bugs Bunny ad. Here, you might remember this one. <laughs> of course you know, this means war. Hey, Jordan. Hey, hey, Jordan. What'd you expect? Am I fun? Uh, that of course was back in the uh, when when they had like the basketball things. Yeah, the, the Hey Kid catch ad that gets a lot of response. The Apple Macintosh gets a lot of response. The 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 again the the Jordan one, the crystal ball one that we were talking about. Uh, no question about it. Let's see. Um, Oh, a lot of a lot of people love the frogs. Budweiser, right? I remember those. It's got to be Miller Lite's case of the missing case. Boy, I remember when they had that. Jeff, the Budweiser horses playing football in the snow. A lot of people love the various Clydesdales um, ads. And, of course, you, you can't go wrong with any of those. Those are always extremely popular. Jeff, Wendy's Where's the Beef with Clara Pella. Yeah, that you know they were running that as part of a campaign, but they did run that during the uh, during the Super Bowl. Um, Jeff, I love how Larry David is not thinking Bitcoin is such a good idea. You know, of course, that's 
if you look, if you watch the ads this year, last year there were three separate ads for cryptocurrency, all telling us that we were going to be stupid if we didn't spend all sorts of money there. No ads for cryptocurrency. The one other thing that you're going to see is you're going to see more different, more different. You're going to see different types of beer ads during the Super Bowl because for the last several years, Budweiser has paid extra to have the exclusive rights to advertise beer during the the course of the Super Bowl. They gave up those exclusive rights. So now you're going to see Budweiser ads. You're going to see Heineken ads. I, I think you're going to see some other ones as as well that are there um jeff i like the ones with the birds pooping on everything um yes pepsi max anything that can go wrong got that yeah see this is kind of the fun thing the dorito commercial for the um ultrasound not sure i remember oh yes i recall that one this is the thing it's even if you don't like the game, you watch the Super Bowl ads. And this year, I'm going to tell you, there's a couple really good ones, and I, I've seen it. There's a Breaking Bad um, retro thing with the people from Breaking Bad. And I think the one that a lot of people are going to be talking about, it's for T-Mobile. It's got John Travolta, who hasn't necessarily aged that well, but he's reprising his role from the movie Grease. And if you want to get a head start on these, like I say, if you're on Twitter, check out Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to a lot of the different ads that are running. And we'll talk again on Monday, perhaps, about the ones that might be memorable from this year's Super Bowl.